Hi, I'm Dan, and I want to welcome you to Church Online. If it's your first time, please take a minute and fill out a quick guest link on our website after the broadcast. We would love to connect with you, no matter where you're watching from. You can also give online by going to lifechurchutah.com or by texting LCGIVE to 95577 at any time during this morning's service. Once again, thank you for making Life Church Online a part of your weekend. For more information, visit us at lifechurchutah.com. You know, during the month of July, we've been talking about how to connect with our neighbors uh, with the hope of leading them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And it's a series that uh, we've called How to Neighbor. And really, we're not just talking about neighbors who live next to us. We're talking about anybody who needs Jesus uh, as their Lord and Savior. Today, I want to wrap up this series that we've been doing in the month of July by talking with you about learning to love others as you love yourself. Now, I think probably most all of us know people who need Jesus Christ as Savior. It might be a neighbor who lives next to you. It might be somebody within your home, somebody that you work with, whoever. But oftentimes, we find it frustrating to share the gospel message uh, and knowing what is the best way to share that message because sometimes our neighbors and work associates can feel very resistant to the message of the gospel. And that is just true. The, the, the fact of the matter is not everyone will respond positively to your witness of Jesus Christ. Some people are very resistant to the gospel. And that's a choice that God gives all of us to make. You have the freedom to accept Christ as your Savior, to accept the love of God, or to not accept the love of God. Every person on this planet has the right to make that choice with their life. And the truth is, some people will choose not to love God, not to accept the message of the gospel. But my experience is that most people, if given a good understanding of why they need Jesus, I'm going to tell you, I feel like a lot of people do not understand why they need Christ, why they need salvation. If they're given a good explanation as to why they need that, of who Jesus is and what he can mean in their lives, most of those people will allow us to share the message of faith with them. So we play a vital role in leading people to Jesus Christ. You know, God could have chosen some rather dramatic ways, miraculous ways, to bring the message of salvation to the world. But he chose to use you and me. That means that some things have to be right in our lives if we're to be effective as witnesses of Jesus Christ. Now, I know maybe some of you immediately thought to yourself, well, he's talking about I have to be good enough in order to share the gospel or to witness to others. But I'm not saying that you have to be good enough. I'm not saying you have to be perfect. In fact, it seems to me that through the years, Satan has used that excuse that I'm just not good enough, I'm just not perfect, I'm just not mature enough in Christ to be able to share my faith with other people. I don't have answers to all of their questions. He's used these kinds of excuses to keep a lot of us from even being willing to to be open to the opportunities that may come to us in sharing Christ with other people. But the truth is, none of us are perfect. None of us know all the answers. 
None of us are good enough. And if we're going to wait till we know everything, if we're going to wait till we're good enough, we will be waiting the rest of our lives and never be effective for the Lord. We, we are all a work in progress. And wherever you're at on the continuum of salvation of spiritual maturity, God can use you no matter where you're at. If you're very, very mature, God can use you. If you've just come to Christ, God can use you. The church, in fact, I think one of the reasons or one of the purposes of the church is to be a place of encouragement for people to, to grow in their faith, to be encouraged in how to share Christ with people effectively so they can be a useful tool for God. So this is what I think God wants us to understand. All of us can be effective for Christ. All of us. If you know Christ is your Savior, you can be effective for Jesus Christ. Don't let the devil tell you anything different. And all of us, God wants to use all of us. All of us uh, are, are to be used of God. That's his purpose and his plan. But to be effective will require that, number one, you love yourself. We've got to love ourselves if we're going to be effective. Now, I know that may hit you wrong. Probably you expected me to say that if you're going to be effective at sharing Christ, you've got to love others. You've got to love your lost neighbor, and that certainly is true. But before you can really love other people, you've got to love yourself. Luke chapter 10 tells us about a day a, a Jewish expert in the Old Testament law asked Jesus what he needed to do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus answered by telling him to follow the two greatest commandments, which are, according to Jesus, number one, to love God with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and then number two, to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, when we, when we read that portion of Scripture, we usually focus on the first part, the first great commandment, I have heard scores of sermons about loving God with all of my heart, my soul, my strength, and my mind. But I've, had, I've heard very few sermons on the second great commandment, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. What Jesus is saying here today uh, is that we, if we're going to do an effective job at sharing Christ with the world, we have first got to learn to love them, but he's saying more than just love them, we've got to love ourselves because we cannot really love them if we don't love ourselves first. And so I want to focus today and talk with you about this second great commandment, which is to love your neighbor as uh, yourself. So let's go over to the book of Romans, and we're going to go to the 13th chapter of the book of Romans. And I want to see what the apostle Paul has to say about uh, our obligation to love others as we love ourselves, this whole idea of loving others as we do ourselves. And in verse number eight, he says, first of all, owe nothing to anyone except your obligation to love one another. We have an obligation to love one another. So uh, what is Paul saying here? He says, we owe love to other people. We owe love to other people. Now, and he, he puts it here in, 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 a fi in financial terms. 
And we understand being in debt. Most of us have been in debt or are in debt currently in one way or so it might be your car or it, it might be the mortgage on your home or, or some other kind of, of debt that, that you, it might be your kids. Uh, Carrie and I had our children back in the day when we didn't have any health insurance and they were both born cesarean. So the, the, the medical bill that came with those children was fairly hefty. And I remember the day that I paid them off. And I went to my girls and I said, you don't have to worry about being repossessed again. I paid you completely off today. So we all understand what it means to be in debt. We, we've, we either are or have been in debt uh, in our lives. But whatever the reason of the debt, every month the creditor has the right to expect a payment from us, the agreed upon payment, the minimum payment is expected from him. It's not a gift that we give him, it's what we owe to him, and we all understand it. And Paul is saying, thinking in those terms, that we owe love. We owe love to one another. As the New Living Translation puts it, it's our obligation to love one another. And then it goes on and says, if you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. So whatever we do in terms of loving people is an expression of the heart of God's word and God's law. So what Paul is saying here is if you want to live rightly or what we would call righteously before God, love your neighbor. So what Paul is doing is he's taking love out of the context of the four walls of the church where he says, we, you know, we already know that as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are to love each other, we are the family of God, and we are to have a love for one another. We may not know each other well, but we are to love each other deeply. That's what we are called to do as within the context of the family of God. And we're to take that same love out of the walls of the church and into the world in which we, we live. And we're to do out there what we're supposed to do in here, which is to love. And then in verse number nine, he says, for the commandments say you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. That makes sense. If I love you, I'm not going to murder you. You know, if I love you, I'm not going to steal from you. So every other commandment is modified or is predicated upon, look at that way, it's predicated on the fact that I love you. And and my behavior is modified, I don't have to be told not to hurt you if I love you, right? That just makes sense. And that's what he's saying here. All the commandments fall under this one word, love one another. If you love, then all the rest of it falls into place. And so we have it here again, the same words that we read in the Old Testament law, the same words that Jesus said, Love your neighbor as yourself. And then Paul tells us how this love works in verse 10. Love does no wrong to others, so it fulfills the requirements of God's law. So if we do wrong to others, or if we say wrong about others, we're not acting in love. 
Those are not acts of love, no matter how we make it look or how we make it sound. And listen, you can couch ungodly acts in godly terms and make it sound like what you're doing is really a godly thing when in fact it has nothing to do with Jesus. That is possible to do. And a lot of people get deceived by that way. But what I want to say is when we act in certain ways or we say certain things, they are not acts of love. That no matter how we make it look, it's not. No matter how we make it sound, it is not. They are acts and words that are selfish and they are self-serving. And this is really, it, it's a hard word, I understand that, because it means that in certain circumstances and with certain people, we are very self-centered and unloving. And conviction comes on us when we think about that. So when I, fl- I'll just use myself as an example because none of you have this problem. But when I fly off the handle at somebody or at other people, it's not about them, it's about me. Now, they may have initiated it, but that doesn't matter. It's still, um, it's still about me because essentially my self-interests have been violated and so I want to retaliate. So that's revealing what's in my heart. That's why the book of James chapter 1, verse 20 says, man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. And you could also put women's anger in there. It's the same thing. It's mankind's anger is the way that could be translated. Does not bring about the righteousness of God. So the biggest problem that we have with selfishness and self-centeredness is that it keeps us from caring about other people, and ultimately, it keeps us from caring about lost souls. And it keeps us, therefore, ineffective at sharing uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ and reaching lost people, because if you can think of it this way, it reveals a core within your soul of self-hatred. And that's why Jesus said you can't love somebody else unless you first love yourself. You can only love others effectively if you have learned to love you. Now Romans 13 goes on and says in verse 11, this is all the more urgent for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up. For your salvation is nearer now than when you first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds and like dirty clothes and put on shining armor of right living. In other words, we don't have forever here to get the job of reaching the world for Christ completed. So Paul says, verse 11, our salvation is nearer now than when we first believe, in other words, Jesus is coming. Folks, we got to get this job done. Now, everything that we've talked about up to this point is based on this truth. We can love our neighbors only to the extent that we love ourselves. So with that in mind, I want to talk about, I want to share a couple of thoughts with you about loving yourself. First of all, humility does not mean devaluing yourself. 
Humility is not the same as putting yourself down. In fact, it can be absolutely the opposite of that. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, anyone who's in Christ has become a new person. You have value because the stamp of God's image has been placed upon your heart through the power of the Holy Spirit because of what Jesus did. Your value now is not based on your money, not based on your education, not based on your past. Uh, it, it, it's not based on your ethnicity. Your value is based on the fact that you bear the image of the Son of God. The living, eternal Son of God has stamped his image upon you. That's how proud he is of you. That's how much he loves you. Now, some Christians believe that if they think negatively about themselves, uh, that, that they are more humble. In other words, the opposite, if they don't think negatively about themselves, that they're full of pride. But that's just not so. In fact, what I have learned is that self-deprecation is often the result of thinking about yourself too much. And so the very thing that we think is a sign of our humility is actually a sign of our pride. We're focused on ourselves too much. I have known people who have had the humility act really down. I mean, they're masters at it. They're great at it. They can act in such a way as to make you think the words that come out of them, the, the way they act, make you think to yourself, man, that is one humble guy. That is one humble gal. When in reality, all they are doing is drawing attention to themselves. It's kind of like, I'm, I am so humble and proud of it. You know, and they draw attention to themselves. It, it becomes an act, and in some cases, they've done it for so long, they default into it, and they don't even know that they're doing it. It's, it just comes out of them naturally, and to that degree, they're self-deceived. But what the Old Testament law and what Jesus says, and what Paul, and what they're all saying is that we cannot love others into wholeness until we learn to love ourselves properly according to what God has to say. So, you know, we have this devaluing thing going on in American culture today. Humanity has been devalued, and in some cases, under the guise of caring about people, and we just love everybody so much, but in reality, we're devaluing one another, and, 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 and we, we devalue babies in the womb, and, and we say they're not important, and, and, and we do this with such normalcy that we wonder why we have an epidemic of teen suicide going on in our culture, and we devalue one another out on the road in, the way we, in a thousand other different ways, but it's all a sign, I want you to hear that, we don't like ourselves very much. It's not a sign that we love ourselves, it's a sign that we don't like ourselves very much. And putting yourself down and thinking lowly of yourself will never make you a better person or the person that God wants you to be. You've got to start seeing yourself as God sees you with the stamp of the eternal Son of God placed upon your soul. 
You have value, so much so that he sent his son to die for you before you ever knew Christ. While you were still a sinner, Jesus was hanging on that cross, ready to pay the price. That's how much value you have. So God sent his son to die so that you can be a victor instead of a victim. Hallelujah. He sent his son to die so you can be an overcomer instead of overcome by everything that's beating you down now. He sent his son to die so that you can be a conqueror instead of one who is conquered. That's who you are in Christ. I love a couple of the songs, I love all the songs, but a couple of them that we sang this morning, just bring it on home. That one called Good, Good Father. Isn't that a powerful song? You're a good, good father. That's who you are. It's who you are. But the second part of that song is just as important as the first part. I'm loved by you. That's who I am. And it doesn't devalue me. It doesn't hurt me. It doesn't put pride in me at all to say that God loves me. Hallelujah. And he he loves you, and you can walk out of here and say, I know I'm loved by God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. And then the other one that we used to sing a lot, but it's been around for a while. We don't sing it that much anymore, but we sang it this morning, and it's a song that says, Who am I that you are mindful of me? You ever thought that to yourself? Who am I that God would pay attention to me? Don't you know all my failures? Don't you know all my sins? Don't you know all my complexities? Don't you know, oh God, when I walk away, I rebel. I mean, I just fall into this stuff sometimes. Why would you care about me? But the song goes on to say, who am I that you are mindful of me, that you hear me when I call? I'll tell you who you are. You're a friend of God. You're a friend of God. You're a friend of God. He has called you his friend. Hallelujah. And so it's, it, it is amazing. It's amazing that he would do that. God calls you his friends. That's who you are. So I want you today to accept it. I want you today to believe it. I want you today to receive it. You are loved by God, and you are a friend of God. And that's what will cause you to be able to love the world the way God wants you to, when you understand that about yourself. Number two, loving others means forgiving others. Have you ever had to forgive someone? Have you ever needed to be forgiven? Your answer to that is probably yes. But like loving others requires that you first love yourself, the same can be said about forgiveness. To properly forgive others, you first have to forgive yourself. Now, I, I will tell you that I, I personally think this is a huge subject and it's one, of the, it's one of the biggest traps that most believers fall into, this whole issue of forgiveness, unforgiveness. It becomes the barrier between us and so much of what God wants to do in our lives. An unforgiving heart will just, will just keep it from happening in your life. And I don't have time in the next couple of minutes to deal with this huge subject, but I, I just want to say to you today that I just want to give you this base, basis. Forgiveness is, you, you probably are going to need to be forgiven today. And you are probably going to need to forgive somebody. And you may even need to forgive yourself. I have found that on most days, those three things are true about my life. And through these many years that I've lived, 
I've come to understand a few things about the subject of forgiveness, and I want to share a couple with you. The first I would say is that forgiveness is necessary. You could even put different words in there. It's a priority, maybe an urgent priority. Forgiveness needs to be dealt with right away. Forgiveness is necessary. So what I mean by that is it's necessary because without it, you will end up living in a self-made prison. You think by, unforgiving, by not forgiving people that you're putting them in prison? That is not true. You're putting yourself in a prison when you don't forgive. Jesus kind of referred to this when he answered a question that Peter put to him about forgiveness. Peter simply asked him, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? I think that's kind of a comical question. It's kind of like, whatever God answers, whatever the answer is, okay, I'll forgive up to that point, but after that, I'm going to be bitter. And God's going to be fine with that. I mean, that just is silly, isn't it? How often should I forgive someone? And Jesus went on to tell the story about a man who, owned, who owed a huge amount of money in today's vernacular, somewhere around $10 million. That's a lot of money. I know some of you carry that in your wallet, but for most of us, that's probably a huge amount of money. And he owed it to some sort of a leader. Jesus called him a king. He, a man who had a lot of money had loaned this guy up to $10 million, and now the note is due. But, but the guy who owes the money, he can't pay it. And so as was the, was the tradition back then, the king ordered that this man, not only his man, but his wife and all of his children be sold into slavery until they could pay him back. But the man falls to his knees and he begs for mercy and he promises that he will pay the king back if he would just give him a little bit more time. And the king, Jesus said, the king is so moved by what the man is saying that not only is he, does he decide to give him more time, but he decides to forgive the debt entirely. And he releases, it from, releases him from it. You can, leave, you can leave my house and walk out of here and, and go a free man because you owe me nothing from this moment on. Well, just maybe a few days after that, the forgiven man confronts a man who owes him about 2000 now, he owed the king about $10 million, but this guy owes him about 2000 That's still a lot of money to most of, it, most of us, but uh, in comparison, you know, and, and he demands that the man who owes him the $2,000 pays him back. Same scenario. The guy that owes the 2000 bucks can't pay it either, and so he begs the man, you know, give me a little bit more time and, and I'll pay you back everything that is owed to you. But the man who was forgiven so much money by the king is, is, uh, is totally unmerciful and unmoved and, and he, he has, him, come, he has them, him arrested and he says, throw him into prison until he pays the debt in full. Well, the word gets back to the king that the guy he forgave 10 million wouldn't forgive some guy who owed him 2000 wouldn't even give him more time, put him in jail, and the king has him hauled in, and he says to him, what's the deal with, with you uh, throwing this guy into prison? Uh, I forgave you $10 million and you wouldn't forgive or give even more time for this man to, to pay back the $2,000? Uh, you should have been as merciful with him as I was with you. 
Uh, and then he says to the jailers, come and get this guy and take him back into the jail and torture him until he has paid the entire debt. The word torture is in there. I didn't come up with it. That's in the Bible. Torture the man until he pays the entire debt. There's a, there's a lot of lessons from this, but the one I want to get to today from this story is that when, when we won't forgive, we put ourselves in a prison of emotional and relational torture. Torture is not just physical. It can be emotional and it can be relational. And when we won't forgive people, regardless of what they've done to us, when we won't forgive them, we put our, ourselves in a self-made prison uh, uh, and, and torture ourselves emotionally. The second thing that I've learned about forgiveness is this, and it's the power of forgiveness. When we forgive people, we are opening them up to receive the favor and the forgiveness of God. I, I, this might be something you've never heard before, but I want to share this. I, I want to give you two examples out of Scripture. Luke chapter 23. In chapter 23, we have the, the story of the crucifixion. So we have Jesus hanging on the cross, and you all know what he says. He says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing, right? Do you remember that? He says that to everybody, the, the Jews that put him up there, the, the Romans that drove the nails. He says it to all of them. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And only moments later, there's this thief that's hanging on the cross next to Jesus, and he hears Jesus offer forgiveness. And, and it so touches his heart, because if you read all of the Gospels, you, you realize that that both, both thieves were, were jabbing Jesus from the cross. Both of them were getting after Jesus earlier on. But after Jesus says this, the one thief, he looks and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says to, to him, today you will be with me in paradise. I want to suggest to you that this man's heart was spiritually opened to the message of Christ, to the life of Christ, to a, a powerful spiritual encounter hanging on a cross because he heard the words, Father, forgive them, come out of the mouth of Jesus who had been so tortured before he was hung on that cross. Another example is given us in Acts chapter 7. It says, they stoned him... As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Stephen was not an apostle. He was one of the early leaders in the church in the book of Acts. And they took him out and they stoned him because of his witness for Christ. And there was a young man that was in the crowd that day. And this uh, young man, maybe you've heard of him, his name was Saul of Tarsus. And he heard these words coming out of the mouth of Stephen of forgiveness as he's being stoned to death. And so touched was he that he turned his life over to Jesus Christ as his own personal Savior. He who had been one who had tortured God's people turned his life to God, became a full, fully devoted, devoted follower of Christ and became the great apostle Paul. 
What I'm saying is that forgiveness has power. It has the power to change the heart of a person. They may not even want to be changed, but it has the power to open their spirit to be changed. Doesn't mean they will be. Everybody heard Jesus say those words. It was only the one thief that responded. A Roman centurion also said, surely he was the son of God. Many heard Stephen say those words. They continued to throw their stones and killed him. But some were touched by the power of these words. And their lives were changed. Now, I know I'm three minutes over noon here, but I'm hoping that this is bringing something eternal into your life. It has the ability to open up doors that seem absolutely closed at this time. The power of forgiveness. Jesus said in John chapter 20, verse 23, if you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. That is powerful right there. So how do you neighbor? We're wrapping it up. How do you effectively share the gospel with those who don't know him? I think forgiveness is a key, and there's two elements to it. Number one, seek to be a forgiver. Seek to forgive people. Keep short accounts with people. What I mean by that is when people have wronged you, forgive them. Let them off the hook. Let God deal with them. Turn them over to the Lord, but you forgive them. So you don't end up in that prison of bitterness, that torturous prison. And then sec secondly, seek to be forgiven. If you've wounded people, and you know you have, seek forgiveness. If you've hurt, wounded somebody in this church family, seek forgiveness. If you need to be forgiven by God, seek forgiveness. Keep short accounts with Jesus. Don't let it become a huge deal. When it becomes a huge thing, you have this huge list, then it becomes a stronghold, and it's tough to get over that. But if you take care of it early on, it becomes very fixable, very helpable when you take care of it early on. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.